charming romp through the film history of Charlie's Theron. Today we are reviewing Gringo, which is our most recent release, so not really history anymore. With me are Robin and Regina. Hello! Hello. And my name is Bob, and do we have one sound reviews? Uh... (laughs) So this is a movie. Is what we can establish this from this. Is, I want to say that I'm sad you didn't introduce me as Robin Elaine Hitchcock because <laughs> Charlize's character is named Elaine. What up, girl? Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so this is basically, it's better than I thought it was going to be, but it is basically a retelling of Fargo. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. I didn't really think about that. I'm going to have to think about that more because, full disclosure, guys, we just came from the movie theater. And I'm already forgetting. Yeah. I, when we left, I was like, wow, this is a movie I'm not going to remember that I saw. And that's already taking place. We So, to be fair, we stopped for me to buy a book and to eat mac and cheese. So, in that amount of time, possibly <laughs> uh, less an than an hour, yeah. I'm already forgetting this movie. <laughs> but this is our first time to put to the test watching the movie Saturday morning, and we all did it together because we went to the 11.50 a.m. showing of this film. Technically Saturday morning. Technically Saturday morning, and at the time of ticket purchase, we're the only ticket buyers for the movie. Three other people did show up, so we made up half of the audience. And they had very loud ice in their drinks. And opinions. But, (laughs) you know, these things happen. We're going to try to talk about the movie for a bit without giving any spoilers, should you be at all interested in seeing it. But at some point, we're going to just have to go into it. So, what did we think? It was fine! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really can't emphasize enough how low my expectations were. So I saw this trailer, and uh, we commented that Charlize was wearing the same outfit in the trailer, and we thought was always in the same room. And I was like, oh my god, if she's in one scene of this film, and we're going to have to go see it, I'm not going to be happy. And like the, the trailer made it seem like it's like, here's a violent, crude, drug comedy? Yeah, it's It's funny. Like, listed on IMDb as an action comedy. And I thought... It is comedic. Yes. Yes. I'm saying, like, my reaction from the trailer was very, like, But seeing it, I was like, yeah, sure, some beats. And I have to say that a large part of why I think this movie, I hesitate to say worked, but I can't think of anything else, is the star of the film, David Oyelowo, is... Amazing. He was so fucking charming. He was great. Yeah. He was the best part. And I don't think I've seen him do a comedic role before. And so, and he's so brilliant an actor generally that I hate to be like limiting to him, but I'm like, just do comedies now. His timing (laughs) was so. Continue doing comedies. Please, please do. His timing, he had some line deliveries where it was like, I would never have delivered the line that way. Mm -hmm. And you nailed it. And he also had a variety of hilarious screams. It's true. He really yes. did, and he managed to, to he managed to both fake, uh, like fake a fake scream and do a real scream at the same time when he stubbed the cigarette out on himself. It was, it was brilliant. A, it was very good range. 
Yeah, he was super charming in this, and I would love to see him do a comedy with an equally skilled script, because I feel like the Mm -hmm. script in this was clunky. Like, there is a heavy use of a character alone talking to themselves about what they're about to do rather than just acting. They're sort of like, here are my thoughts, and here are my future actions. Are you talking about Charlize in the car? Yes, and that was my Theronator. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was some bad script. But there are other character moments, like when the brother is talking to him, and they're sort of like, rather than just doing this scene, he's like, I'm going to explain my feelings about what we're doing. Mm. So the broad strokes of the plot, without spoilers, are that a Chicago-based pharmaceutical company is secretly developing a medical marijuana pill. What, is, it, is it a medical marijuana pill or just a recreational? It's, a, it's just it, a marijuana pill that they're like, when this becomes legal, we'll be able to... Right. So, yeah, correct. I don't think that you can develop marijuana drugs because it's not federally legal. Right. Was what made it illegal. Okay, gotcha. I'm not clear on this. I don't know the ins and outs of medical marijuana <laughs> in the U.S., except for that what they were doing was illegal in the context of the film. They are making it in Mexico, so they all three go down to Mexico. And those three people are Joel Edgerton, Charlize Theron, and David Oyelowo. Joel Edgerton and uh, Charlize Theron's main characteristics are that they are mean, horrible people. Really, really horrible. And exist to to do bad things. Yes. And David Oyelowo is hapless and honest. Correct. Yes. He's a good man to whom bad circumstances happen throughout the film. Including his wife banging Joel Edgerton, who is also banging Charlize. One of my favorite lines of this whole movie is in the beginning, we see Harold go and speak to his accountant. And we find out that his wife is basically spending all his money and he's essentially broke. And his accountant is like, hey, man, like, I'm an accountant and I work with different people. I hear your company's getting bought. And if that happens, like, you're going to be out of a job. Like, you need to start making some changes. And uh, Harold is like, well, no, like, my boss is my friend. And his response is, that dude has a vanity plate. (laughs) He does push-ups in his office. That man is no man's friend, is the implication. And I really thought that there was going to be an explanation of what the vanity plate was. But they were just like, no, that's enough. You know that he's... Just the the concept of having a vanity plate makes you a bad person. And the photo of him running with the bulls in his office. It was like, nice... Subtle douche building. Yeah, very good character painting. So they go to Mexico. They're like, stop selling our product to drug dealers. They did that because they needed a cash infusion. And now that they're selling, they need the books to be matched. Right. Joel Edgerton and Charlize leave. David Oyelowo stays and decides to fake his kidnapping. Out of, out of desperation, because he ha- discovers all of the things that are wrong with his life and the position that he is in. That his wife is cheating on him, that the company is about to be sold and he's going to lose his job. And I he feel like we're money. firmly in spoiler country now. Are we? But wasn't him faking his kidnapping in the trailer? Yeah, that's, okay. that's the part, that's the main crux of the plot, is that he fakes his own right. kidnapping okay. in Sweet. order to... There's a that's the catalyst. Much less interesting B plot about some. I'm struggling to find an adjective other than janky, which I don't think should be used to describe a person. But scruffy, scruffy British dude, oily. He's both scruffy and oily. He's (laughs) gross. Him being on screen was viscerally upsetting to me. (laughs) I would say that the way that they introduced him, I was like, yes, perfect. He's a dude who works in a guitar shop and judges young children who come in and try to play guitar there. Yeah. So yeah, that guy. He's like, he's too old to be doing that. uh, And he like never grew out of... He's making fun of that kid because he, you know, isn't that kid anymore. And he is somehow dating Amanda Seyfried, 
whose name I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, but whatever. <laughs> I think that's right. That B-plot, which serves no purpose. No, it's super pointless. No, the purpose yeah. is so that he will meet Sonny and realize that there are good people in the world. Because without Sonny being in the movie, he's the only, he's up to the end meant to be the only good person. He could meet a good person in Mexico. That is true. But yeah. I think that's why they, they shoehorned that in. Uh, this movie reminded me of Two Days in the Valley. Okay. Yeah. Like, I think that they were going for, like, there's so many balls in the air, this madcap plot, but there weren't really that many. It's deceptively yeah. complicated. It's much more, or it's deceptively simple, I guess. So I was, I was thinking that structure is more just, like, that's the way movies are done. Like, middle-of-the-road movies are made to try and seem complicated. And yeah. Biscuits, you can't really follow exactly what's going on. You just kind of let it happen. Can I give a, I'm going to give a little story here that maybe isn't going to make sense to anybody but me, but when Regina Connelly, myself, <laughs> goes to see a play, I am extraordinarily judgmental of how a director and a production uses blackouts between scenes, uh, because I think it can break up the action in an unnecessary way. It constantly reminds the audience uh, to tap out of paying attention, and I feel like it cuts up the structure that you're trying to build, and I think that you should use them judiciously as if they're part of the production. We're not taking a pause. Like, they have to be incorporated into your storytelling. And this movie, I think, attempts to keep a lot of mystery by cutting when something exciting happens, but mm -hmm. it does that by cutting to the boring beginning of something else. So it has no real increasing level of tension or uh, like narrative necessity. Mm -hmm. Like the whole time you're sort of like, oh, something excited. Okay, we're going back to the boring section. Oh, that section got interesting. Okay, we're going back to a boring section. So there were all these like little hills of trying to cut up a story that wasn't as complicated yeah. as they thought it was. Yeah. And I was like, stop using blackouts. So it was like, there's a, a film structure, or I guess a storytelling structure called Meanwhile Back at the Ranch, which is yeah. where something is, as something gets as interesting as it can get, so it doesn't get boring after that, you're then supposed to cut away to another, like, Meanwhile Back at the Ranch, this was happening and you see what's interesting about that. This was doing that backwards. So it was like, it was the boring setup for something and then... Just as it was about to be interesting, they would cut away. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, boring shit is also happening. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of the characters are one note throughout. Like, no one really undergoes a big change, except for sort of Harold, but not even, really. I mean, he, he self-actualizes. But... He self-actualizes in that his circumstances change. Like, he himself is fundamentally the same good-hearted person, and, like, he acted out of character, but at the end of the movie, I would argue that, like, he doesn't actually change throughout the film. He's still just himself, but he's been alleviated of the burden of the bad circumstances in which he found himself. I think that that's what I meant by self-actualizing. Like, he stays himself, but he becomes truly himself and happy. Although I'm, like, sort of the... But it requires a big deus ex machina for that. Yeah, that is true. Oh, yeah. So, really good cast, Great let's cast. say. No, no so cast, this is yeah. directed by Nash Edgerton, or Edgerton, I'm not sure, who is Joel's brother. So I can see how we got him. Oh, yeah. But I'm curious if Joel, like, just... I feel like... So first of all, sidebar, this is the most I've ever liked Joel Edgerton. Oh, yeah, for sure. I normally find him to be a total charisma vacuum. Yeah. So I feel like him playing the worst person on Earth is, like, what made him finally interesting to me. <laughs> That's fair. But now I, like, it's one of those things, like, with Jeremy Renner in Ghost Protocol, where I kind of want to go back and watch his other things and be like, do I hate you less now? Uh, my experience is, yes. Right. <laughs> but anyway, so Tandy Newton's in it. and Charlotte Copley. Yes. Using exactly the 
white South African American accent that I heard constantly when I performed there. <laughs> when so, did you perform there? I used to live in South Africa. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. I know that never comes up. <laughs> he reminded me of my friend Rob Coots. Oh, cool. Yeah. I also think he got a nose job. Not Rob Coots, Charlotte. <laughs> So I, I, I don't know anything about his nose job. I did notice that his accent has improved. He, yes. He was in the A-team. Uh, and he oh did, my God, that's right. And his accent in that was terrible. It's like, wow, you really sound like you're doing an American accent. Whereas this one, he sounded much more natural. He I, was, at least I think. Shooting for slightly less Texan McConaughey mm-hmm. and, and nailing it, let's say. Yeah, he, I, thought, I also I he liked was... him better in this movie than I have liked him in anything else. So I usually really like him. Okay. Um, I haven't seen him in very many things. He was basically doing the same character that he did in Elysium, except he talked more in this. I thought he was bullshit in Elysium. <laughs> I also just straight up hated that movie. It, wasn't, it was not good. Yeah. You're wrong. Um, wait, is that... No, I'm thinking of Equilibrium. Never mind, I never saw Elysium. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was different. like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just like, yeah, give uh, Nuggety McNuggets a sword. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Christian Bale. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> What's not to enjoy about that? Nuggety nuggets. Yeah, close enough. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it has a, a good cast. Are you guys talking about the guy that I described as uh, Owen Wilson and Matthew McConaughey had, had a baby that grew up to be that man? Yes, yep. correct. Cool. Yeah, that's who that is. Yeah. yeah. I So I like him. I I also like that he has evolved from being... he he. In early in his career, he would have played the David Oyelowo. Yes, part, you're right. But now he's the badass mercenary. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he. I liked his character. In Me this, too. Honestly, this movie was very much. If they hadn't had such an exquisite cast, it would have been as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, but the for cast sure. outshone the material in every instance, and even honestly, like the small bit characters, like there are two brothers who run. A I motel. love those guys. Yeah. They were some of my favorite parts of the movie, and also because like they were some of the only people who like acted at each other and didn't just say, "This is what I'm about to do to you," and this is why. Yeah, I thought the cast was great. I was very pleased to see Alan Ruck show up. <gasps> When he came on screen, I just wiggled my butt all around my seat and was so happy. And I, I like looked over at Robin and be like, the love of my life is on screen, guys. Cameron is on screen. Everyone enjoy this as much as me. Meanwhile, I was very confused because my first reaction was, oh, it's Kenneth Choi. And I was like, I don't think Regina cares about him. <laughs> to be fair, I care about no one on film as much as I care about Cameron. And right. I was very happy to see his little Right, because I, I didn't even look at his face because to me, I just read it as white dude and yeah. I was like, never mind. And then when <laughs> Regina was freaking out, I was like, oh, it's a Alan special white dude. Yes. <laughs> Uh, he has a scene with Charlize that I actually think is like one of the better scenes in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Because they're both just... Uh, they're power play scenes. Yeah, and yeah. it was it was really well carried out. And I also thought that Alan Ruck, although playing someone that I found reprehensible, was really good in that role. Yeah. Really good. Do we have any segments that we can do without spoiler country? Would this movie be improved by a prison riot? Yes. For sure. It yeah. Was, yeah. I don't, I'm frankly astonished that there isn't one in there. I mean, it's set in Mexico. <laughs> and, and, we're dealing and there's with a scene in prison. Yeah. You would have thought that at some point they would have squeezed it in for some wacky antics. Yeah. Yeah. They're dealing with a drug cartel, the head of which is called the Black Panther. Yeah. Oh, which, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. And there are like cards with the Black Panther on it. And I'm like, you know what month this movie came out, right? I don't, I actually, I was thinking about that. It's something in the movie made me think that it was... Made a long time ago. Oh, everyone has a Windows phone. 
<laughs> so they just got fun. well they also use apples though maybe it wasn't product placement so much as they found an empty lot filled with them. I was gonna say maybe, maybe the props budget those are cheaper to buy yeah. yeah maybe that's what happened to Windows Phone when they couldn't sell the stock they all got sold to, to movie Mexico? prop houses oh there you go yeah. alright all right. one more spoiler free thing um, uh, can we talk about how Charlie's has basically two modes nowadays where good badass evil badass kind of where it's like <laughs> So she has the the mode in this and like Fast and the Furious Eight. They are to have a Alpha good time dog. and get paid. Yeah. And then she has her Mad Max and Kubo the Two Strings mode, which is where she is. It's no less goofy, but she is acting earnestly mm. and is getting paying seemingly. I would don't want to say more respectful. I'm sure she treats all of her work with respect. Sure. But. There is a definite difference, and I think the way you can tell the difference is the presence of the intense whisper voice, uh, previously <laughs> demonstrated by John Feitner. I guess we can cut to that or something. Okay. You know, in this life, all of us have a choice. The choice to be us, or the choice to be the ones to find out who we are. <laughs> That's when she's there to have a good time and get paid. Yeah. She did have a good time, it looks like. I she was a producer did. on it. They oh. seem to be all of them having a whale of a time. Yeah. I had a good time watching her. I also, like, to me, this feels like it falls in the category of her Ravenna role. Like, she's basically yeah. like, I'll play an evil witch, like, and tear <laughs> it up. And again, like, I think that, I think my biggest problem with the movie is the script. Like, I think that it could have been punched up, like, to have more jokes. It definitely could have used some jokes. And when I saw the screenwriters, I was like, ah, two dudes. Yup. Because a lot of her jokes felt to me like a dude's idea of what that woman would say. Mm -hmm. um, and I, her character was so weirdly drawn. So she and Joel Egerton are the president of this company, and she's just like a stone cold bitch, except for she's sort of in love with him. So that was the thing that I hated like the idea that this like beautiful take no prisoners woman like she's a terrible person but mm -hmm. like a strong terrible person would be made to feel weak by the dough man <laughs> yeah I was like he's not hot enough for her eh yeah as, as previous guest Karma McCallis has described him he looks like a brick <laughs> No, and we see her look wounded because she's Charlize and she can act her pants off. Yeah. So she goes to his apartment to see what's going on and why he wouldn't have her over. And she sees him boning someone else or about to bone someone else. And then she's in the car crying. And then she looks in the rearview mirror and has a conversation with herself. She's like, are you crying? Your daddy's blue ribbon girl. You won every pageant. And I was like, we don't need any backstory for why Jolinator. Yeah. yeah. There was no reason for Joel Egerton's character to be a dick the way he was. We didn't learn why his brother had been a mercenary. Like, no one else needs a backstory. But the only reason for this woman to be such a cold-hearted bitch is that her dad was mean to her and that she was, like, pushed into pageant world. That was, like, so unnecessary. Yeah. That could have just cut to her. Like, we could have cut that whole scene out and just had her see them, react and let the reactions wash over her face like an actress, and then go up into the apartment and have the scene that we had. Yeah. Like, that was wholly unnecessary. Well, let's flip this over and talk about Charlie Zenith, then. Okay. 
Do you have one? I do have one, and it isn't in spoiler country, so okay, good. we can keep it here. At one point, Joel Edgerton is calling her out for having said something should literally happen. <laughs> and she said, I say fucking crazy shit all the fucking time. <laughs> and then she's like, literally doesn't mean literally. It's a thing that people say. <laughs> and that was, to me, like, she does a ton of yelling fuck in this movie. But to me, that was the most entertaining yelling of fuck. <laughs> so mine is... Not a spoken moment, but it's uh, it's the part where uh, they're having the three of them are having dinner, and Joel Edgerton excuses himself and leaves Charlize and David Oyelowo at the table. And previous to this, we have seen Charlize and Joel bantering with each other in the mean and terrible ways that they banter, uh, and then she's left with David Oyelowo, who is earnest and hapless. Uh, and she has nothing to say. She's just like sat there and it's really awkward for a moment. And then she's like, so I'm just going to crash. And then as she stands up, she like flares her eyes in pure awkwardness <laughs> and then like makes a beeline for the elevator. <laughs> and I was like, that was just perfect. Like that was all we didn't, didn't need to say anything. Just kind of stand up and leave. Yeah. Uh, mine is probably biased, but I think it's her scene with Alan Rock. Okay, so this might be vaguely spoilery, but basically, like, their company is potentially going to be bought, and Alan Ruck's company is the company that's buying. And in the the meeting where they're trying to, like, pitch them on this, she is, like, very suggestive with him. And then he calls her, and he's kind of like, hey, so, you know, like, if we buy your company, we're not going to need two co-presidents. So have, like, you guys talked about it. And she's like, let's have a drink. And so, like, he basically, Alan Ruck is having a drink with her t- to bone her. And she's like, hey, like, let's talk business. Like, let's talk you know, whether or not you're going to fire me or the other dude. And he's kind of like, hey, like, let's just keep everything personal. And then she has this speech where she's kind of like, why don't you pull your dick out right now? But she's saying it like not in a mean way, but in a just sort of like, why don't you pull it out? Let's get down to brass tacks. I'll take a look at it. If I like what I see, sure, we can go fuck. But if I don't, uh, then we'll just talk business right now. And like, you see Alan Ruck squirm because he's basically like, it's sort of what he wants from her because she is like aggressively sexual. But at the same time, he's like, I can't, I can't meet you on this playing field. Right. And so then he just starts talking business with her. And I feel like the way that you see her have the calculations of being like, I'm uncomfortable or not uncomfortable, but basically like being like, I'm disappointed that you think you're going to outplay me in this maneuver yeah. and get me to do what you want. And now I'm revealing who this character really is and how I'll play. I thought that was really well executed for again, like a clunky script, but I thought that was well done. And it made me want to watch Atomic Blonde again. Can we do Keanu's without spoilers? Um, yes, I can. Okay, go ahead. So, um, much though as this was Joel Edgerton's finest role, I would replace Joel Edgerton with Keanu. Same, um, hard same. I was really thinking about replacing Charlotte Copley with John Wick, but I was like, he, I, I enjoyed him too much in it to, to get rid of him. And I'm like, Joel Edgerton is so beige that he can be replaced by anyone, and Correct. why not Keanu? I agree. I disagree. I thought that, because I, I, I can't remember from anything else, probably because of his beigeness, but I thought <laughs> he played that dick to a T and like was just gross gross to look at gross to think about like what a gross human <laughs> when, he, when he talked about doing CrossFit I was like yes you do yeah yep. uh, wait I retract mine I want to replace the British oily smudge yeah age up those characters <laughs> yeah that was the direction I was also gonna go in originally because I was like because that guy's like basically a waste yeah but instead I am gonna replace there's a character that we don't learn a lot about but he like there's like a company basketball team and uh, <laughs> yes. he kind of gets like pushed around and then later he's like here's all the insurance policies <laughs> and that's who I want Keanu to be okay yeah. 
makes so, sense. Yeah. Also because I felt like the folks who worked at the Mexican plant and the folks who like ran the hotel, like I would definitely not replace the hotel brothers. Oh my God. Uh, no. They were just so great. The one character who was his driver whenever he came down yeah. was great. I liked him too. Again, I feel like this moment, this movie had some small detail work that I was like, that's good. Like one of the ways we knew that David Oyelowo was a good man is that every time he came to Mexico, he brought like a special meal for his driver that his driver liked. And when they were at the fancy restaurant for dinner, like he ordered him a meal as well and like brought it out so he was just like being like thoughtful and nice yeah yeah i i think i liked pretty much everyone in this apart from the oily smudge guy yeah. who was needlessly mean right i well, don't know why he was Charlize such a dick was also needlessly mean agreed yeah. like i didn't need her making fun of deaf people and fat right. people. I have several notes about the fat people thing. But yeah. I, I thought we might do that in spoiler. Country. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But I, at least it kind of, she, it served her position to be that way. Right. I feel like they could have easily hit the mark of her being an evil person without right. that kind of down punching. For sure. And like, I get that like that kind of person necessarily wouldn't care about down punching. But, like, I don't need to see that on screen. No. Like, I think you can get the character across without simultaneously I'm, giving a voice to those jokes. Right. I'm 100% good. sure that we could get the deal with her character without her being that way. You would have you would have lost nothing. I got what her character was from right. everything else she was doing. And, like, so she's also racist and, like, refuses to, like, she keeps doing that thing where she'll, like, say English with an O at the end of it to Mexican yeah. characters. Yeah. And I was like, it's pretty clear from her acting that she has no respect for these people right. and won't give them the time of day. I don't really need that. Or yeah. I need it once. You know yeah, what like, I mean? I felt, right. like, I felt like at the beginning when they arrive in Mexico and the main character or the main dude who owns the company whose name I'm already forgetting, Joel Edgerton, looks at the guy and he's like, oh yeah, like, or you could learn a second language. Yo quiero Taco Bell, am I right? I feel like if you kept that in, I was like, that paints They're a terrible very, people. A very specific picture of him without all the subsequent needs for that right so that at least has a point uh, overdone oily smudge character could have been a well-meaning but slightly hapless criminal so he is asked to go and like bring a few pills back and he's gonna get paid for it paris jackson talks him into it yeah <laughs> but then he's also like well how many butterflies did you want to see like, yeah the butterfly yeah. first yeah. of all i want to go there that sounds awesome and i didn't <laughs> know that about modern butterflies anyway <laughs> Spoilers for butterfly biology and also the rest of the movie is a time to plot off. Yes, let's venture into spoiler country. So thanks for listening if you are really concerned about being spoiled for Gringo. Everybody else, stick around for slightly more in-depth analysis. (laughs) I don't know how super spoilery this is, but... So Tandy Newton character is um, David Oyelowo's wife. And we see in the beginning, like when he gets to work, we see a picture of like him on his wedding day. And the woman in the picture does not look as gorgeous as Tandy Newton looks. Right. And then we hear Joel Egerton talking to Charlize Theron about how she used to be such a fatty when they first got married, like just a disgusting fat person. And I was like, this is very unnecessary. And I also felt like we were supposed to hate her character because she spent all of his money and then had sex with his boss. And the movie gets its revenge on her by she thinks that her husband has died. And then the next time we see her, she's in a shitty apartment and she's wearing sweats and she's eating. And she's fat again. And she's fat again. That was... So that was the worst part of that. I didn't even realize that was supposed to be her. Oh, that's her. That's her. You were like, okay, some woman is eating. I was was confused. I was like, who is this? Were we we introduced and I missed her? (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, A, like, changing weight is not a punishment uh, at all for 
someone and and I also thought that part of the reason that they established that she had been heavier was to make us know that David Oyella was a good guy. He married this repulsive fat person. Which is gross. And Charlize comes in and she sees, you know, she sees them making out and this is basically her power play to be like, you don't belong here. I'm going to humiliate you into leaving. Uh, and she like talks about, she's like, oh, like, can I see your stomach? Like, what did they do? You know, and she just like talks about what someone's body would be like if they have a dramatic weight change. And I was like, this is so unnecessary and felt again, like this was very much a screenplay by men where the yeah. only thing that a woman could go after another woman for would be her, her size and, uh, her worth is determined by that. And I was kind of like, all right, like, again, like this movie is okay, but there are certainly moments of it where I'm just like, nope, this is, this was my expectation. I thought the whole movie was going to be this. Mm. Right. I was upset that Charlotte Copley's character didn't make it. I was, yeah, I was surprised at how much uh, sudden death happens. There's quite a bit of, oh my God, that person just got shot in the head. Yeah. And also no consequences for it. So the right. first time uh, David Oyelowo's character is kidnapped by the drug cartel because they're trying to bring him in so that they can use his fingerprint to get the formula for this magic drug of weed. And he thinks he's with like friends and he's wasted and then one of them shows him a gun and is like, shut up. And they're driving. And then he like reaches for the gun and they're fighting for it and the driver gets shot and then the car goes off the road and uh, he has buckled himself in and he survives and the other person doesn't. And like, he has no feelings about this. And the end of the movie ends with him, like, killing two strangers, which, like, again, like, you know, who are trying to kill him. Yeah. But he's just sort of like, I've just killed four men. And moving on. Right, and they like, go on and on about what a good guy he is, and that he really is just cool with killing people and right. like, in self-defense. He has a long speech about how uh, he's a Christian, and how the Bible is important to him, that which came out really, of really, really squeezed forced. in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, cool insight into Peter and Judas, I guess, but why would that speech happen I feel happen like then? there's a deleted scene, because they also reference Charlotte Copley's character being religious in a in his first scene yes. talking yes. to his brother. That's true. So I feel like there's a deleted scene that would make that fit better, but probably this scene should have been deleted too. <laughs> yeah. And also, so it's like he he kills those people, and then he gets picked up on the side of the road by Amanda Seyfried and Oily Smudge, and he's just sort of like being tended by Sonny and is like learning that the world is still good, but he's not like freaked out that he got kidnapped for a reason he doesn't know why they kidnapped him. Right. Men are dead, and he's just sort of like, but my wife left me, that's the most important thing. And I was like, I don't know... That that was weird. Like the movie just has like some extreme violence with like limited consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. My only note about that particular scene is you can always tell when someone is about to be surprised run over. Yes. Same. It's I was actually so, surprised by it. I was so not. Telegraphed. I normally know those things, and I was like startled out of my very comfy reclining chair. I was like, there is always a shot from over someone's shoulder from where they're, the other character is standing in like clear, uh, empty space from mm -hmm. like the knees up. And then two beats later, they will get hit by a car. You are right. So painful. 100% of the time. And also because like the camera did this swing. So it's sort of like you see him backing away into that spot and you haven't yep. seen the other areas. And I'm just like, he's going to get hit by a car, which was slightly better because they're talking about God. And Harold was like, I need an act of God to like save me because he's about to kill him. And there had been lightning previously. And I was like, if he gets struck by lightning... I don't know if I'm going to have so much respect for this movie or so much <laughs> lack of respect for this movie, but they did not go the lightning route. They did go the getting hit by a car and that's not how he dies. He still recovers from that. Yeah. But also his character's change of heart was very unearned. 
So like he's brought I, in. I did buy it. I, I did yeah, not. I, I bought it as well. I gotta say. Wait, the, his change of heart into deciding he's gonna kill him? Oh, oh. No, the other way around. The yeah, other way around. No, the other way around, yes. So Harold fakes his own kidnapping because he thinks that there's an insurance policy that anything happened to him when he was in Mexico, that the company would cover it and like rescue him. And then so he fakes this kidnapping, but you know, Joel Egerton's like, oh no, we let that lapse. We don't care about that. And so nothing is going with that. But Joel Egerton doesn't know it was a fake kidnapping. So he calls his brother, who's a mercenary, but has given up the mercenary life and working in Haiti, to rescue him. And so he comes and rescues him from the motel owners who think because of the fake kidnapping that he has money, but he doesn't. And then tries to get him out of Mexico. David Oyelowo runs away at the airport. And then they end up in a hotel and basically, like, reveal that he knows that his wife is sleeping with his boss. And they have a conversation. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, there was no kidnapping, so I'm just going to take the fee for rescuing you. And David Oyelowo talks him into taking his brother for the money, for the ransom money, so the two of them can split it. Right, and yeah. that that scene I bought. I bought. But then his brother calls and is like, oh, we do have another insurance policy that I forgot about where if he dies, we'll get $5 million. And then the brother's like, I'm cool with killing this dude. But first, I'm going to take him out into Mexico where, of course, there's a parade of a party on the street. And then after he's had one last fun beer and enjoyed being a human, I'm going to shoot him in an alley. Yeah, the part that was confusing to me is that the scene previous, they had agreed to conspire against Joel Edgerton to take him for the money. So if when Joel Edgerton offers them more money to do something else, I would have thought Charles R. Copley would have been like, okay, now we have to fake your death. And I've already Same. made you a secret passport that, with a right. new name. Right. Like, I'm yeah. a mercenary who can get you anywhere. Like, I didn't understand why he was like, no, I'll kill, I'll kill this guy. Can I say that one of my favorite moments of, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, one of my favorite moments of unexpected violence was when Charlotte Copley threw his suitcase yes at, <laughs> at David Oyelowo forcing him to fall off a relatively tall wall yes that was very funny <laughs> I like that it was a very like he's obviously a very skilled mercenary and yeah. that was like the least skillful way he could have got him off the wall oh so I felt like that was he was so skilled he was like I'm gonna use the least effortful way I'll let the bag do right, work but hilarious funny right. violence the violence <laughs> that I did not find funny is in the beginning when Charlize and Joel Egerton come down and are like, you got to stop selling to the drug cartel. Like, we nope. need the books to be clean. And so then the boss of the plant goes to the drug cartel and is like, hey, my boss has told me I have to stop. And he's like, oh, like, did they threaten you? And he's like, well, like, I get fired if I don't stop selling to you. And then they flip his chair backwards and proceed to cut off his large toe. And he's it was like, gross. I'll hurt you more. And then I guess we're supposed to think that's okay because at the end of the movie, we see him in a boot being hugged by his children. I enjoyed that. Yeah. I'm glad we got the follow-up. Yeah. Here's the thing. I wanted that for Chantal Copley. I wanted to be like, it was just a graze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I wanted him to also be okay. I wanted David Oyelowo to go with him to Haiti to like help out. Like His new I, life is being a good person. What, what I thought was going to happen with Chantal Copley was that he was going to be one of those like... Uh, Boris the Blade like indestructible characters so, like, uh, when he got hit by the car and was like <gasps> out of the water and was like fighting like stumbled out and was yeah. when he got shot in the head I was expecting him to do the same thing uh -huh. like <gasps> can you believe I just got shot in the head <laughs> <laughs> yes I would have loved that right that would have been great the other violence that I did not appreciate is the two adorable brothers bring David Oyelowo oh, to yeah. the cartel and then because they say they don't like the Beatles they get shot immediately and I'm yeah. like that didn't feel funny to the me. The Beatles joke wasn't that funny. It wasn't funny enough and also those are the only characters that you went out of my way to be likable Yeah, and then you immediately killed them so I was going to like the only side character. So yes, 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 yes. 
I thought that because the Beatles joke again was one of these things like, oh, this could turn out to be really funny if they build it to something. I thought he was the cartel boss, and then he said manager, the cartel, <laughs> the cartel. What do you do? Man. I manage a cartel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought he was going to eventually come face to face with Joel Edgerton and Charlize, and they would face off. And one of the questions he would ask them was, "Who? Which is the best Beatles album?" And then they would shit talk the Beatles and. Things oh. would go from there. See, I would allow them to die for not saying the exactly, right thing. Exactly, because that would have that worked for me. Yeah. But that's not what happened. No. The one thing I did really like is, so the movie ends with the, the driver who he'd been nice to turns out to be a DEA agent. And so when they're going to the plant is also when a DEA raid happens. So the, all the bad guys go to jail. Many people are killed. And the, the DEA agent, like, allows David Oyelowo to leave and start a new life. And he takes off in his Deus Ex Machina taxi, which is full of a fake passport and tons of cash. And uh, he opens... The, that belongs to the mercenary character. Which right. he literally calls, this is a magic box. Yes. <laughs> so, but the tw- the only twist that I was like, yeah, all right, is that Charlize goes to the DEA and testify and like gives evidence against Joel Egerton. So she walks out scot-free. Like she's still in charge. She's yeah. still a blue ribbon girl. Yeah. Uh, but he goes to prison and then we see like Tandy Newton gets her comeuppance, I guess. Ugh. And then uh, the head of the plant in Mexico like, gets hugged by his children. And the other thing I was worried this movie would do is I thought that uh, Amanda Seyfried and David Oyelowo were going to get together. And yeah. I was like, oh, please don't do that. I was worried about that Because she like sat on his bed when she was nursing him and I was like this is gonna be weird because like she's playing nursing him for medical reasons not breastfeeding yeah <laughs> that was obvious but the thing that happens at the end is that she gets a text oh she sees her the oily smudge get arrested for being yeah. a drug mule so she's obviously broken up with him and she leaves the guitar world business for the nursery business not nursing boobs but plants <laughs> uh, the garden center not, not full of babies but trees that are babies and she gets a text from Harry being like I'm living a beautiful life on a beach now so they stay text pals but that's it i enjoyed there being a character named Stu, like my kitty and then also a character the main character's named harold it, we are improvisers and there's a major form in improv called the harold and i'm always like that's a name i've never met anyone who has mm-hmm. and amanda seyfried says that to him and he says if you google harold it is the most common name that has no famous people. <laughs> Which I love the idea that that's Googleable. Yeah. And so she says, well, there are famous Harrys. And his part of his self-actualization is becoming a Harry. So what else? I don't think anyone listening to this is going to be like, ah, I know what the plot is. Because we're sort of like, beginning, middle, this event happened. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, that's kind of what this movie is like. It starts two days in the future and then goes back to the beginning. And then... You know, I... Thing, movie makers, you need. I'm putting that shit in the vault, okay? I'm putting that device in the Disney vault, and you can only take it out for very special occasions. Detective stories. But we've seen it yeah. too many times. You need to earn it. So you, the two days earlier, and also all of Pink Floyd, just go in the vault. We're not going to look at it for seven years, and then when it comes back seven years later, maybe we won't be so resentful towards it. Let's rank this. All right. As we're pulling it up, I want to say I often describe movies of this level of quality as airplane movies. Yes. But I feel like this is like one little notch below. I feel like this is a movie where if you turn on the TV in a hotel room and the cable channel that is on is showing this movie, you should watch it while you 
do shave. other things. But yeah. don't, don't feel the need to watch it all the way to the end. Right, You exactly. can turn it off at any time. Right, so have this on in your Hampton Inn suite. <laughs> I also think, like, frustratingly, I, I think that there is a better movie in here. I'm not sure that there is. Like, I just, I'm like... It is, it's called Fargo. <laughs> <laughs> I just think if you had removed all the meanness without yeah. removing the cruelty of the characters, like, I'm fine with having the cruel characters, but it was just mean in a way that was unnecessary yeah. and not fun. And also, like, I didn't feel like it was saying something about the meanness of the human spirit. In any way, like I was like, this doesn't feel like you're saying anything about anything. Mm. Um, You just want to romp. So I'm like, so have a romp, like get rid of all the unnecessary like bullying. All right. So ranking it. I'm going to do the thing where I zero in on the movie it reminded me of, Two Days in the Valley. And I actually, I'm going to put it just above Two Days in the Valley. Really? Yeah. I think that's fair. And one below Hollywood Confidential. Because <laughs> I had a those, better... I had a, How are those close? <laughs> I had a much better time watching Hollywood Confidential than I did watching that's Gringo. True. What makes me put it above Two Days in the Valley is just the strength of the performances, in particular David Oyelowo. Yes, I think I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, I also I, I think this is boosted by two things. Firstly, and most importantly, I think is the Saturday morning cartoon boost. Okay. Because I did have a good time watching this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did I. I. I like it wasn't. I did not feel I'm resentful towards it at all. Um, that being said, the performances are very good. The movie is not well made, or it's well made. It's not well told. So I'm putting it all the way down, uh, way below my recommendation threshold, in between Cider House Rules and Dark Places. That's where my other consideration was, but that's <laughs> a notch higher for me. So oh, okay, yeah. I'm like honestly, the movie that this reminded me of, in addition to Two Days in the Valley, is Reindeer Games. It's an unnecessarily uh, complicated yes. plot yeah. with yep. many unlikable people that we don't really need them to be that but terrible. Reindeer Games had zero likable people. Correct. And so also this had a huge leg up. Um, like, in terms of charisma scale, Ben Affleck's performance as that character versus just the deeply delightful uh, and nuanced performance of David Oyelowo in yeah. this movie. Like, such such a vacuum. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yo, Reindeer Games is way below for me. Yeah, it galls me to put Prometheus above this. Oh, wow. But I think I'm going to. Like, I I think I'm going to put this below Dark Places and above Hollywood Confidential. All right, guys, we hope you enjoyed this. This movie is out in theaters now. You can see it, I guess. If you have Movie Pass and you have a free afternoon and you've already seen A Wrinkle in Time and everything else that's in theaters, <laughs> you won't feel cheated of your two hours. No. <laughs> so often we're like, if you're in these circumstances, you could watch this movie, right? And one of the circumstances we've used before is if you're doing a podcast of Charlize Theron's career, you should watch this movie. And guess what? We discovered one. It's, it is called Watch the Throne. Which is funny. They have a they have a podcast which they review all of Charlie Theron's movies. They are doing them in order. Oh, uh, wow. So uh, they will not get to Gringo for about six months or so, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I, I've been listening to them. We tweeted at them this week. They were very courteous and said, the more the merrier. So. Which is good because they have already done Keanu Reeves. Right. So we'll be behind them in our next lap. Yeah, they in fact have a whole host of actors that they are covering. 
Yeah. So what are they called again? What's the Throne. And it's under the umbrella of Cage Club. Yes. Because that was the first actor they did. Exactly. Nicholas Cage. So anyway, hi guys. And hi. it's exciting knowing that we aren't the only people who love Charlize Theron enough to give her this amount of attention. Great minds do think alike. Yes. So yeah. speaking of other podcasts, our friends at High on Film have a new podcast out, which we think that everyone should delight in. It is called... Death at Sunset. Ooh. It is a crime noir radio play set in modern day Los Angeles. There's original music and our friends being awesome. So please listen to that. Check as that well. out. Uh, especially because you'll have next week off. So That's right. <laughs> all the more reason to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much to Alex Reed for our just unbeatable theme song. Yeah. Not that it's a competition, but he has won. You can follow us at Charlie's Theronathon on Instagram and at Theronathon on Twitter. We're coming up on the end, guys, and everyone loves to watch things as they end with a large community of people. So if you like this podcast and haven't told someone to listen to it yet, now is the hour. That's right. So thank you guys for joining me. Thank you all for listening. And most of all, thank you, Charlize! Like there's a real difference between Catherine's who go by Catherine or Kate or Katie. What about Kathy? I can only think of Kathy as in a oh yuck, whatever that kind of strip is. What does she say? <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs>